Thank you, everyone. My name is Gordon Winston. Uh, in addition to being a, a partner with uh, Round Two Capital, which is a emerging, I call it European-centric uh, private credit plus strategy, uh, I'm a former partner of a company called uh, DLI Capital, which uh, we began at one point uh, back in 2002 as a private office. Uh, we had uh, an exit uh, event and from some of the capital takeover of a publicly traded company to a family office. Spent $100 million, took the company private, and then transformed it into a $5 billion asset management uh, platform focused on the acquisition of, of royalties in the, in the pharmaceutical space, or more interestingly, intellectual property. Um, I got involved in investing in, in, in this area after identifying uh, some off-balance interests. I'm a former Wall Street guy. I spent 15 years between Lehman Brothers, Peter Peabody, uh, and Bear Stearns. And then uh, post, uh, I guess, uh, post moving on from the royalty space, I launched a structured finance fund with a partner named Kristen Cernich, who is, uh, who is now building out round two with myself. Brian, Sure. Uh, my name is Brian Walter. I'm co-founder of Fairbridge Asset Management. Um, one of the topics that came up during the lunch was uh, access to capital. Um, I, we, I run a uh, bridge lending fund where we lend, uh, you know, generally bridge to something, bridge to traditional financing, bridge to uh, a sale, bridge to a takeout. We do a lot of uh, pre-development pre uh, loans, pre-construction uh, loans, as well as um, adaptive reuse uh, loans. So we are uh, some of the capital behind some of the transformations of, of different uh, areas throughout the country. Um, most of our uh, loans have been east of the Mississippi. Uh, here to four, we are starting to expand across the country. We do like to, to visit and, and meet each of our lenders or borrowers uh, and visit every site. So during COVID, uh, as you could imagine, that was a little bit tough, so we had to keep it within driving distance. But now that travel's much more open, we are uh, expanding across the country. Um, access to capital, um, you know, if you look at some of the statistics over the last 15 years, the banks have really, um, since the 08, 09 financial crisis, backed away from many, many aspects of the lending market, as we, as we heard about during lunch today. Um, we, we tend to lend against the value of an asset. Um, we look less at credit scores, although it is something that we, we certainly keep in mind. We, we do want to get paid back, but we're generally lending against the assets, uh, uh, that are our collateral, uh, rather than against cash flow, which most banks look at. So um, we are actively uh, growing the fund and looking for opportunities to do that. Neil Gupta, based in uh, Washington, D.C. My company is um, out of um, New York City, uh, near Bryant Park. Um, I'm more from the family office side of things. Um, my Family siblings I really founded a company, uh, IT company, which we scaled to 5,000 people and sold and uh, started investing in startups after that. Um, coast to coast, uh, quickly found we were better operators than investors. Uh, one common pain point we saw um, in the tech, tech world was access to resources and capital, and we felt we could help address both those um, in a more differentiated manner than just being another um, angel investor. Um, so we developed this model over, um, took us five, six years uh, to get to scale, uh, but we developed this model of 
basically building technology uh, for equity in startups. Uh, so we have equity now in 500 companies um, and planning to scale this to about 1,000 companies coast to coast. Uh, we have events, 100 events a year, where we connect uh, VCs, family offices, high net worth, worth individuals with startups. Um, so you know, investors are looking for good direct deals and deal flow. They can lean on us for diligence. Uh, startups are looking for access to capital. Um, we're also big supporters of, uh, you remember the statistics Andre shared uh, of um, you know, African-American uh, women, minority founders. Uh, we're big supporters of them. 25% of our portfolio have women founders. Um, I think about 60 companies have African-American founders um, and probably 100 have minority founders. So we have specific events uh, to connect uh, investors to these startups and invest in these startups as well uh, in a big way. Um, and we've somewhat globalizing the model in terms of working with startups around the world, but all of our investments are virtually, I mean, pretty much here in the U.S., uh, coast to coast. So again, the theme is what scares and excites you. So for all three of your fields, um, why don't you kick it off, Gordon? So um, I didn't have a really chance to explain the, the, the portfolio construction, but we've, uh, over the course of the last Two and a half years, we've invested in, in excess of, of 50 companies. Transactions that we typically look at are usually we use um, structured credit uh, as a way to step into the capital stack of, of a company. We use this form of royalty finance where we're purchasing a percentage of, of the revenues, and then opportunistically we're looking for ways to invest growth equity. Um, the companies we've invested in, in eight, eight different countries. Um, we've had no defaults in the portfolio, and the way that the investment model works is that we're generally looking for somewhere between a 25 and a, and a 35 percent cash-on-cash return. Um, we're very much we're industry agnostic. We're looking at businesses that actually have a very significant uh, component uh, of, of the revenues derived from software, and uh, we'll cover I mean any any industry that uh, that, that actually those those characteristics are, are demonstrated. Um, interestingly, in the portfolio, while the world seems to be uh, up, upturned, we've had no we've had no defaults. Um, in fact, the way that we've structured these deals um, are that we're receiving a percentage of, of the company's revenues, and we've seen none of that change as a result of the instability in the markets. But, but what does scare you? What is your team scared about now? Well, we're, we're, we're scared about the, the continuance of, I mean, the, these companies, if you will. Always, you've always got to be concerned about whether or not management can, can, can the businesses can continue to remain stable or continue to grow. Uh, the feedback that we're receiving is that there hasn't been any change, and because we see cash flows on, on a monthly basis, we would we'd actually have, I think that we'd have a leading indicator to see whether broadly across these different in, industry categories, we have problems, but of course that 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 would generally be a problem that anyone would would have owning a, a portfolio of companies. You're, you're in what I call beer drinking beer drinking Europe, right? So the beer drinking Europe SaaS companies are still going strong. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you, Mark. Brian, what, is, what scares you? Um, not so not so sure it scares me, but what frustrates me and what I see happen with a lot of projects that we look at is um, time. Time kills a lot of development. Um, the reason it, it, it kills a lot of development is because of the costs of financing that development. All right? I've seen many, many a good project 
that should ha- re- produce a nice return to the developer, um, have that equity return wiped out because it took an extra six months or 12 months and the financing costs ate up their equity return. Uh, and where does that, that delay come from? And what is frustrating is, um, a lot of the regulations, a lot of the local regulations, a lot of the planning and zoning, uh, hurdles that need to, um, be, uh, jumped over by a lot of developers. I see a lot of, not, not that those things aren't necessary, but I think, uh, streamlining them could create a lot more development. Uh, I see a lot of good ideas. A lot of, uh, energetic people come to our door looking for financing. Um, but, uh, Getting through a lot of the uh, a lot of the zoning and planning and regulations, um, you know, makes the project untenable. A lot of things they haven't maybe thought about. Well, I mean, I hate to take uh, any guesses on the macroeconomic uh, situation, but um, you know, capital markets closing up. Uh, you know, we have half a dozen companies which are positioned for IPO in the next couple of years. So, you know, if uh, there's a pullback there, um, that would be a concern. Obviously, uh, there's strong enough companies that they can ride it out. But, you know, if we see a slowdown for five, six years, we would uh, that could definitely impact the exits for investors. What's the most exciting thing? What, what, what makes you get up and say, I'm excited about the day as an investor? <laughs> um, you know, on my end, uh, the excitement is, is actually seeing projects work their way through the pipeline to success. Um, as my, one of my partners likes to tell the story, one of the, one of the best days of his career was building a charter school in Brooklyn, New York, uh, and going to the first day of school, um, seeing that project from, from planning all the way to development to opening and seeing the kids' faces when they walked in there. Uh, you know, we, we love adaptive reuse projects. Uh, we uh, have a couple of investments down in New Orleans where um, things are being redeveloped. Um, and uh, we have one of our largest borrowers is in Patter- Patterson, New Jersey. He's literally transforming the city block by block by block. Um, you can drive down a block and see which properties are his and which properties are not because he's literally transforming the city block by block. So, I do. Yeah. What, what excites you the most? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, um, you know, even in the last couple of recessions, we've seen innovation really boom. So, uh, you know, I'm excited about innovation continuing with Web 3.0. We're building capabilities around that. We're trying to get more portfolio companies in, um, you know, NFT, uh, blockchain, crypto space. Um, so that whole burgeoning area. I've been quite a, a slow adopter of it myself, um, uh, but, you know, it, it's the future, and uh, it's exciting to see the developments in, in the Web 3.0. So since we don't have uh, our friend Chris from uh, Allstate uh, and Stephen, I think we're just going to give a pass. He, <laughs> he, did a he just got out of vacation. He did his thing today. Um, but uh, and DJ, I don't see him. So just any about the room, uh, things that you, that excite or scare you across asset classes. Peter, you guys, hold on. 
Stand up. Hi, guys. Really nice job. Um, the Fed is poised to raise rates. Personally, I don't think they're going to raise them as much as what the media is kind of anticipating. But, um, Brian, how does that affect your underwriting and your portfolio? And, Gordon, I know you're revenue-based, so I'm not sure it's a relevant scenario, but I'd like to hear your viewpoint anyway on that. And the same with the Gupta. Excuse me. Uh, for us, uh, rates in real estate are having a couple of effects. I mean, first, from our lending standpoint, most of our loans are fairly short-term in nature. So, um, for instance, during COVID, we were able to increase our average coupon in our portfolio by about 150 basis points in nine months, uh, given our loans are mostly 12- to 18-month loans. So from that standpoint, um, you know, I like our product in this environment, in this rising, uh, potentially rising rate environment. From the uh, flip side, in terms of loan-to-value in our world, uh, the big discussion in real estate is cap rates and what's going to happen with cap rates uh, as interest rates rise. I think we're seeing people try and be conservative and back them up 25 to 50 basis points uh, in, in to be conservative in their valuations on, on properties. But the counterbalance to that is obviously rental rates have been continuing to increase on the other side. And there's also a lot, uh, I was just at a conference last week on a panel, and the the other piece is there is a lot of capital that continues to need to be put to work in the in the, uh, in the equity side of the real estate market and uh, a lot of funds that continue to buy up uh, completed assets, a lot of REITs. And uh, so that, in, my, in our estimations, will put a little bit of a cap on cap rates. So, Peter, thanks for the, for the question. Um, for the, the way that these, our transactions are structured is that we're receiving a percentage of the, the revenues uh, company. So there's a natural uh, hedge or price inflationary hedge that, that's built into it. Uh, from a return perspective, that bodes well for us. Um, if, uh, if the pricing is passed on to the customer uh, unanticipated in an un- unanticipated fashion, that also works. That that does work to our benefit as well. Um, you know, because we're still. I mean, we're tom- predominantly focused in, in European-based companies. Um, we're not seeing any. Any obviously, we don't have currency fluctuation. Uh, but as the euro weakens versus the dollar, because we're currently out there looking for uh, incremental financing to build up the funding, we see that there's a natural arbitrage in the, in the portfolio. Thanks. Yeah, I don't think there's a huge. Uh impact in the startup world. Frankly, if they take equity funding, which is pretty expensive as it is, you know, at a point move, their rates isn't going to affect them too much, other than maybe, you know, some of them are really early stage taking angel money, maybe less angels because, you know, they can't get money out of their house, I'm not sure. The venture world had a big reset, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a big move uh, in venture, really, uh, from family offices, especially and high net worth individuals, just uh, moving towards direct deals. Um, obviously, they still do a lot of their LPs and a lot of funds, um, but you know, they're looking more and more for direct deals and find finding ways to get those just to save on fees and carry and, and that sort of thing. So, uh, and, and due to this. Um, 
you know, startups are taking a longer time to go public. If you look at Uber and Airbnb, um, you know, 20 years ago or even 10 years ago, they, they might have gone public in four or five years of founding. Now they're taking their time. They're taking 10 years to go public because they have access to billions of dollars of private capital. Um, and so they're not being pushed by funds to go public because the funds really aren't control of the cap table or the board. On the on the bridge loans, you do do anything abroad, U.S. even some countries in Latin America, for example, that are dollarized, Panama, Salvador. Yeah, we ha we have not. Uh, we the the furthest afield we've gone is we looked at doing a loan in Bermuda. Um, it's not so much from uh, uh, you know being concerned about any particular area. Um, you know, everybody needs places to live, you know, and it generally is in short supply in most parts of the world. Uh, but it's the legal framework of every single place and the regulatory flame framework of every single place. Just for instance, we, we happen to come across a loan opportunity in Bermuda, and apparently to have a first lien on collateral in Bermuda, you need to have a special license, which was going to cost us $40,000 to get. So... There went that opportunity, um, and you know it's also the legal framework work of any particular country, and it's more about us learning that framework, right, and that that getting up to speed on how to protect ourselves if we need to take back our collateral, um, and what that process looks like. Even in the United States, every state is different. In New York, in New York, every borough is different. Um, certain boroughs you can get collateral back in 12 months, and in Manhattan, it's going to take you three years. So, uh, and then obviously this, you know, judicial versus non-judicial states throughout the country. You know, there's certain states I can get collateral back in six months, three months. And, you know, we've had, we've had one, uh, and obviously COVID has dragged it on that we're foreclosing on, um, that, you know, been in, been in the works for two and a half years. So it, it's learning that framework overseas. That's a, that's a steep learning curve. So, Right now, for us, plenty of opportunity uh, in this in the United States. Come join our 361 firm community of investors and thought leaders. We have a lot of events created by the community as we collaborate on investments and philanthropic interests. Join us.